This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Ted Elliott. He is the creator of a tool called Job Science. It's the number one provider of staffing and recruiting software on the Salesforce platform with more customers, awards, deployments, users, and development investment. They invented recruiting on the Force.com platform so that recruiters could be more successful. Ted, are you ready to take us to the top? I'm ready. All right. Just to be clear, you are the founder, right? I am the founder. Okay. When did you launch? We actually started Job Science in 1999. Um, before Salesforce really even took off um, in an original company that has nothing to do with what we do today. And what was that company doing? That company was actually uh, doing job boards for the healthcare industry. Uh, and the Washington Post, the Tribune, Gannett, and IBM offered to buy it from me when it was six kids in my parents' attic with a cocktail napkin. For how much? For $12 million. Um, On what revenue at that time? Zero. And, uh, and they asked for 60 days for due diligence. And I realized when they want 60 days for due diligence that I was hosed. So I, I told them I needed a check for $3 million immediately. Yep. So they became my initial shareholders when the internet crashed in April 2000. And I had $3 million and no clue what the hell we were going to do with it. So they walked away because it crashed while they were doing due diligence. No, they walked away because their business strategy massively changed once the internet ended. And they ended up becoming equity holders in the business. And I made a foolish decision to not end the business because I didn't want them to lose their money. So I've carried them today as investors. Oh, so you were a nice guy because you didn't have to give them equity for that $3 million, but you did. So we had structured the deal that if the deal failed, they would become preferred shareholders in the business on terms that no preferred holder would take. It's actually a great story. So there was a venture capitalist named Dixon Dahl, uh, Dahl Capital, and um, he's a great guy. I was in his office and he offered to sign a term sheet with me, but he had one provision. He wanted me to fire my sister and my dad. And I said to him, well, you know, I think I have some alternatives, but if I can't find a deal, you know, or I can't, if I don't execute the alternatives, I'll come sign the term sheet on Friday. And so I got on the phone with this guy, Ross Hamachek, who had been CFO at the Washington Post. We negotiated the term sheet in about three hours and I never showed up for the meeting with Dixon. Needless to say, I will never raise a dollar from Dahl Capital. Um, because you should not show up or not even call them. Um, but uh, yeah, so that that's how it all got started. And unfortunately, our original business plan was a total disaster. Um, and so we, we've pivoted, I think, twice since then. Well, Ted, just to close that out, I mean, 3 million on 12, am I getting this right? You sold them 25%. They're still on your cap table today at about 25% unless you've raised additional capital and everyone's been diluted. Yeah, so they're, they're uh, with preferred preferences, they're about 30%. But yeah, they... I've carried them the whole time. Okay. Now, how much total have you raised today? So three million initially and what today? Three million. Really? So totally yeah. bootstrapped except that beginning. Yeah. That's so, interesting. Um, my dad and I have provided debt capital to the business occasionally. 
Um, but it's always been um, uh, so that we have a preferred position over all the equity in the event of a total shit show. Yep. Now, how do you structure that? I mean, is that like, is this just a conservative market interest rate or what? So instead of going to SaaS capital or going to a third party venture debt, you basically offer the business those same terms and you make sure it's commercially reasonable and you have a third party board member. Um, oh, before job science as general counsel of a company. Uh, so you structure it in such a way that it's a hands, uh, it's an arm's length transaction, but generally we were willing to give the company debt when no one else would, but on commercially, you know, viable terms. Yeah. So what you, what I hear you saying is, um, to prevent any bias you have, especially ethically and with the government, you would go use the same term structure that a lighter capital or SAS capital would use, but then you exactly. just do the deal with your own money. Yeah. And most entrepreneurs don't have what I call the bank of Terry, who is my father, who I've worked with my whole life. Where'd he get his money from? He uh, was a, well, he called himself a midwife for startups. And so over the time I was a young child, he was always starting a new company and he probably had uh, three or four wins on 10. And over time, I, I really think the secret behind his wealth is that my mom bought a house every time he started a company and redid the house. And then for whatever reason, the real estate always worked out, even if the startup didn't. But he um, he started a couple of different companies and was an M&A advisor. So having him as a, a mentor and as a partner in the business I've started, it's been really helpful. And also he's been a very easy source of capital to work with. 19. Actually, he's been an extremely difficult source of capital to work with, but it's been extremely easy to get him to give me the money. 1999 was launch day. You're doing something completely different. Tell me oh. about how you had the intuition to know that Salesforce was going to be big and to go all in. Yeah. So in 2007, we had been trying to implement Microsoft CRM uh, as our tool to run our legacy business uh, that was servicing hospitals. And we were starting to get our um, butts kicked by Insight Capital. They had just bought one of our competitors called Healthcare Source. And we were on a bookstore on Third Street down in Soma. And my dad picked up a copy of a book called Blue Ocean Strategy. Have you guys ever read it? Yep. Well, he bought 10 copies. He brought it back to the office and he forced us to all read it. And he said, we're dead. If we keep doing what we're doing, we need to come up with a blue ocean strategy. And the guy named Mark DeRozier, who now runs platform sales for Salesforce for their platform product, worked for me at the time. And he said, well, why don't we try and build a recruitment system on Salesforce? Um, and I said, well, they don't offer, you know, they're a CRM. They came out with a product called Multiforce, which was really the precursor to what they do today. We started building an app on it, and there was a company that was called Recruit Force at the time that got acquired by Taleo. And I went to go see Team Zoo, who now runs Zora, um, which is a, another company here in the Valley. And I said, Team, these guys are, are copying Salesforce. What are you going to do about it? Oh, they're using the name Recruit Force. We're really upset about that. I'm like, no, no, they're copying the whole product. And he's like, well, why don't you guys try and build it on Salesforce? So for the first three years we were doing this, it was commercially unviable. We couldn't really make it work financially, but we had this legacy business. It was putting off 80% gross margins and lots of cash. So we used that as our venture capital. Like, like how much, I mean, how much was that company doing top line at the time? Two and a half million okay. with 80% margins. Got it. Um, so lots of free cash flow. And what we were doing is we were and basically- That was 07, right? That was 07, 2007, yeah. And so in 2010, I hired a guy named Kerry Fulbright, who had been the first CMO at Salesforce and got Salesforce to give us a better deal um, after they talked to the guys from- um, some venture from down the valley that's escaping me. Um, and so we got a new deal from Salesforce and we literally went from zero dollars in sales and Salesforce today. We're about 18 million annually uh, with yeah, ARR. Um, and so from zero to 18 without raising a dime, um, it's been and, and we're growing at a healthy flock right now. 
Um, What's healthy? Like, what are you going at year over year? Would you say? Well, our goal is the rule of four, rule of forty. Okay, so we either have to have ten percent EBITDA and thirty percent growth, or we need to have forty percent growth. I'd say we're rule of thirty six right now. Um, we have a little EBITDA. Um, lots. It's a SaaS business, so there's not lots of nice positive cash flow. But from an EBITDA standpoint, um, you know, you're talking about three, four percent EBITDA. And then 33, 34% growth in the actual uh, revenue of the business. So if you're doing 18 million today and it's January 2018, that's about 1.5 million per month. If I go back 12, 13 months to the end of 2016 in December, you were doing what? Somewhere around 1.1 million a month, which gives you a 40%. Yeah, a little, even a little less than that. Okay, yeah. got it. So that's, that's pretty healthy. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's the revenue retention from the existing customers uh, running at about 105%. That's really driving the business. We are servicing an industry that's very hot right now, which is the staffing industry, um, and they're growing. And so when they grow, they're buying more seats from us. What's the average customer paying you per month? Uh, you're probably looking at about uh, oh, on, a, on a monthly basis. Um, the average is probably five to six thousand. But yep. if you look at our enterprise customers. They're paying more on the order of twenty to fifty thousand a month. Yep, yep, yep. But I'm sure you have a long tail there. So if I take the one point five million per month you're currently doing, which is eighteen million in AR divided by five grand per month, what you're doing about have about three hundred customers, something like that. No, we have about five hundred customers, um, but we have about eighty percent of the revenue weighted to the top two hundred. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So if I took a true average and divided by the one point five monthly divided by that five hundred customers, the average is paying you three grand, but you have heavy weighted towards the top. Yeah. Yeah. And. Um, because of our relationship with Salesforce, we've won brands that you would be like, you're kidding me. How did you guys win that brand? So we have we have uh, the largest consulting firm in the world that I'm not allowed to use their name. But you can every kid who graduates from Stanford and Harvard wants to go there if they don't go to Boston Consulting. Does any customer make up more than 10 percent of your monthly revenue? No. No. OK, so you're diversified. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Uh, churn. What's churn at today? Uh, churn is uh, on a brand basis. Give me a logo basis. Yeah. A logo basis is um, a little less than 12%. Oh, a- annually, obviously, right? Yeah, yeah annually. Yeah. You, I guess you wouldn't be a SaaS business if that was monthly. No, no, it's 12% annually. So that's, you know, what, 4% a quarter, 3% a quarter. Yep. And give me um, net, are you net negative revenue churn yet because of expansion? No, we're, we're at 105% on a revenue retention. Okay. Yeah. But, but so you're retaining a hundred, so you're expanding your current accounts by 5% year over year. You're losing some amount of revenue. Is that? Yeah, you're losing less than 10%. Okay. So you're not, you're not net negative revenue churn yet. If I take 5% expansion minus 10% churn, you could be at 95%. Yeah, we're close to 95%. Got it. Got it. That's fair. Okay, good. And tell me more about the team. What are you at today and where are you guys all based? Yeah. So we have a really interesting model in that I don't think San Francisco is the best place to have a growing company. So we have an officer in San Francisco. We're setting up a big operation in Indianapolis for us. We have an office outside of Boston, an office in London, and then a few five guys in Melbourne and two guys in Tokyo. Okay, forty-two uh, percent of our revenue comes from outside the United States. What's total team size? About sixty people. Sixty. Wow, forty-two percent outside the U.S. It's great. Yeah, uh, and so um, I have some really great leadership on my team. So David Brooks, who built the Salesforce, he was VP of Platform and VP of App Exchange Product Development for nine years at Salesforce. Runs our development team. I brought in a guy named Scott McKinnon who had been at Monster and Errors, which is a big company in our space um, in the early days of Surge, is running my sales team. I brought in someone from TMP Worldwide to run customer success. Um, and uh, yeah, so I've, I've got a, a really a, a very good team with some senior leaders. And that's that's we're, the next stage for us is how do you scale to, you know, 40 or 50 million in revenue? Yep. And, and so we've been trying to put all the pieces in place to, to achieve that scale. 
Okay, Top Tribe, many of you ask me all the time, how did I get my website up so fast, so quickly, and why is it doing so well? The answer is simple. I use HostGator.com to keep the thing cranking along. They've got a 45-day money-back guarantee, which is great. I used their free website builder to get the site up because it's ideal for WordPress. It's just what I use. They've got 4,500 templates and a free e-commerce plugin as well and 24-7 support, which we love, right? We love that. I bug the hell out of them. They always get back to me. So I've got you 30% off along with $100 in free AdWords credit. To grab it, just go to HostGator.com forward slash Nathan, but you got to do it now. Again, HostGator.com forward slash Nathan. What are you paying right now to acquire customers fully weighted? What's our CAC? Yeah. Um, I don't know off the top of my head. I'm probably 1.2. Okay. 1.2 million. No, 1.2. The cat cost it's one one year and two months, or one year and a month. Or yeah. said said differently, if you if you put in a dollar, it takes you about well, you, takes me about twelve months to get back. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. So payback payback period is uh, about to call it twelve months. There, that's that's obviously healthy. Um, where are when you are spending money on acquisition? Where are you spending it? Um, so our marketing costs um, uh, are really related. We've decided that we're going after enterprise customers and that it's a hand to hand combat thing. I, I actually fired almost all the inbound SDRs we had and I replaced them with uh, something called Conversica, which is a, an AI bot. And it's hilarious. People come up to us at trade shows and they're like, can I meet Katie Taylor? She's the most like, or, you know, she's the, she falls off like you can't believe. And I'm like, well, that's cause it's a bot. Um, and Do they so get pissed we, off. Uh, no, they don't. I mean, it's amazing when people want something, they don't care how they get What's it. What's that tool? Uh, it's called Conversica. Conversica. Spell it. Uh, C-O-N-V-E-R-S-I-C-A. Okay. Conversica. Yeah. Interesting. A buddy of mine um, who's a private equity guy invested in the company, and so I checked it out. Um, and um, it, it's actually been great. It hasn't been great at necessarily closing more deals. It's been great at filtering out all the crappy deals we don't want. Yep. So uh, what you what we've seen from using that tool is that we're generating 800 inbound leads a month, but of those 800 inbounds, four or 500 of them were just not even in the right category for us, either the wrong countries or not large enough as a buyer. Well, the bot's able to do a lot of filtering of that, so that then you're filtering forward all the the quality leads. Does that make sense? It does. Are you using conferences, uh, conference sponsorships to to drive leads or no? Yeah. How, so like to I, what extent, like a half a million so a year I'd or what? Driving less than, you know, 20%, 25% of the deal flow. But what we're seeing, our enterprise buyers in our market, we believe 15 to 16% of the buyers that we're targeting are in active purchase mode in any given year. We think there's about 2,500 buyers in that, you know, that, that, that we're targeting what 15 or 60, there are 250 buyers, maybe 300 buyers active in any given year in the sweet spot of the type of companies we're going to. And almost a hundred percent of those buyers are going to to two or three conferences. So if we don't show up at those two or three conferences, we're not playing ball. What are those two or three? I mean, are you spending like what, like 20 grand a conference, a hundred grand, 10 grand? Uh, 10, 15, 20 grand. Got it. And yeah. which one's most effective for you, would you say? For us, we're in a very specialized market. So there's something called staffing industry analyst. Okay. That uh, puts on four conferences a year. We go to the American Staffing Association. Um, we go to a bunch of shows in Europe that are similar or type of organizations and one in Australia. It's RCSA. 
So very niche or niche market uh, um, uh, where there's a very targeted set of buyers, but we can get to the type of buyer we're looking for. That's that's the market targeting. If Benioff comes and offers you uh, 60 million to sell the company, do you sell? So he's not because this is not a space Salesforce wants to be in. Um, and it's a, it's a subspace within the space they don't want to be in the staffing industry. Um, we have new corporate and staffing, but it's still not a space they want to be in. Um, so I'd say no. Um, if the partner was right, would you sell for 60 million? If the partner was right. Um, 4X ARR. Yeah. 4X is a, is a pretty good multiple. Um, I think that, uh, I probably uh, keep going, but, uh, are you married? I'm married. Would I your guess. wife kill you if you told her you turned down 60 million? No, I, in fact, I, I just had a conversation recently with my wife where we were, uh, we were driving home and I said, well, what if I sell the company? Um, what do you think about that? Would you quit your job? She goes, well, first off, I make more money than you do. <laughs> um, secondly, I love my job and I don't want you around the house a lot. So you need to go find something else to do if you sell this. And I was like, well, do you know what a pain in the ass it is to find a staff of people who you like working with and all sort of the modalities of uh, running a business that in itself uh, takes years to set up. So I was like, well, um, I think we can get this thing um, uh, going in the right direction. We're at an interesting point where I think we have to look at ourselves within a year as a hub for rolling up other companies. And that's part of why I was joking with you. I went to a blockchain meeting last night. I'm really trying to determine whether or not you can use blockchain capital as opposed to private equity capital to potentially do roll up um, um, because uh, it's so misunderstood. And yep. Maybe it's that I'm in San Francisco and that stuff seems like a sober idea. But um, yeah, it was very I came out of the meeting going probably not. But um, it was uh, it was certainly an interesting uh, underground meetup with a bunch of, a bunch of guys who were uh, all day traders that call themselves uh, Bitcoin speculators. That's Very funny. All right, Ted, good stuff. Let's wrap up here with the famous five one word answers here. Number one, what book are you reading right now or the most recent one you read? Uh, clear and Present Danger. Clear and Present Danger. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Um, Elon Musk. Number three, besides you're on with your favorite online tool. Um, my favorite online tool is Team Snap. Team Snap. That that guy. Have you have you met David? I don't know David, but I use it to run my sailboat racing, and it's a godson. Yeah. Do you know what they're doing revenue wise? No. It, it would shock. I mean, he's doing almost fifty million bucks uh, annually, right? He's killing it. It's a great tool. Yeah. All right. Number. Uh, uh, what are we on here? Number four. How many hours of sleep do you get every night? Four and a half, five. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's not a lot. Uh, and what's your situation? You said married and two kids, right? Yeah. And are they young or out of the house? Eight and 13. Oh, wow. Okay. So they're still around. And how old are you? Uh, 46. Last question. Take us back 26 years. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? My 20-year-old self was a guy who was working full-time and doing retained executive searches in the biotech industry. And um, I was going to law school at night because I had, uh, or was that 21? No, no. That, I was at WNL drinking. Yeah. I remember when I was, uh, yeah, no, 20 years, I would have been 26. So what, yeah, sorry. what do you wish that guy knew? What, what, um, I wish that that guy knew the time value of money because, uh, I think I've spent a lot of time here and there were a lot of decisions I might've made differently, but net of it, I've enjoyed it. And now where I am, I, my friend Vinny, who's in my CEO group was talking last night, giving this talk. Um, money is not the driver anymore for me. It's figuring out if what I'm doing actually has value. And I think that's, that's a really interesting pivot from when I was, uh, 26 and it was all about how are you going to make a lot of money 
Now it's what the hell am I doing with my life? And is it actually creating any sustainable value? There you guys have it from Ted. Hell of a story. Founded in 1999, entered acquisition talks, signed the big, beautiful LOI, $3 million. He requested coming at the beginning, selling for $12 million. Then everything crashed, strategies changed, and he said, fine, take 30% or so of the company. That's the only capital that's ever gone into jobs, what is today job science. Made the pivotal decision in 2007 to build on top of the Salesforce platform after talking to some of his mentors and friends in the space. Today, they've got a team of about 60 people across many different offices, healthy unit economics, about 500 customers paying three grand a month going up to now today of about 15 million bucks in ARR or sorry, 18 million bucks in ARR up from just a year ago doing about 12 million in ARR. So 40% year over year growth, super healthy. Ted, thank you so much for taking us to the top. Thanks for making the call.